Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99. At participating U.S. restaurants, price may vary. If you don't know SiriusXM, then listen up. Commercial-free music plus sports, comedy, talk, and news. They have it all. A lot of people think you need a car to enjoy SiriusXM, but you don't. You can listen outside the car. Right now, you can get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for free. Just go to SiriusXM.com busted to see offer details and to subscribe. You can listen on your phone, at home, and online. That's SiriusXM.com slash busted. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on SiriusXM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, WWE Hall of Famer Bully Ray and I have two awesome interviews. That's right. Two awesome interviews. First, we talk to the national treasure, your NWA World Heavyweight Champion, Nick Aldis joins us. We talk about the future of the NWA. Also, Bruce Pritchard's comments about Nick Aldis not having that it factor. We talked to Nick Aldis, and also we talked to EC3, somebody who doesn't want to talk about the past or nostalgia, but we get into it anyway, and we talk about his future in Impact Wrestling and also maybe another home. We do that right now on the Busted Open Podcast. We are now joined by the national treasure, the man who holds the 10 pounds of gold, your NWA world heavyweight champion, the one and only Nick Aldis. Nick, how are you today? I'm all right, gentlemen. Thank you for having me on. Gosh, you look Oh, that, that was very nice. I thought he was going to come right out of the box and hit you with a one-liner, Dave. Uh, well, now why, would you, now, why would you think that that is the first thing that I would want to do? David LaGreca and the Busted Open Nation have been nothing but supporters of the NWA and the real world's champion bully. You know that. Oh, I totally agree with you, but you're good with those one-liners, especially when it comes to LaGreca. Hey, look. Should, I, should we tell I, Nick I about like, your man cave? Oh, go on then. Wait, well, no, I mean, there's just real, wait, no, 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 Nick, bully. Just there's real, so much to talk about with Nick Aldis. Yeah, no, no, he doesn't know, need to hear dinner table I, conversation. I just, on the show. I want to get into everything with Nick and his NWA, uh, the whole everything that's going on with the NWA, his future. But Nick is a very manly man, and I just want to get his take. Lagreca, today is the first day that he's broadcasting from his new studio, his man cave in his brand new house. Unfortunately, his man cave was set up by his wife. What? <laughs> Hold on. Well, I'm sorry, but I mean, you—you—that's—that's that's an oxymoron right there. You, your man cave was not set up by said man. Is it even a man cave? Thanks, Nick. Hey, Nick. Here's the thing: you have to understand. It was a surprise. My wife put together. It's flawless. I have no complaint. If I had a complaint, it would be different. But she did it as a surprise for me. You, as a family man, Nick, and you're a family man, so you know family is the most important thing in the world. So when your family puts a lot of thought and love into your room, I think that's something that should be commended. Not 
made fun of like what bully decided to do this morning on right. the show see, see now you see now you're putting me in a difficult position i must say i, I quite I, i'm quite enjoying being in this sort of this uh, mediator position this sort of judge position here this is, this is quite uh, quite unusual for me you know, it's nice to be you know especially with with the esteemed bully ray on the line i mean to, for me to feel like i'm in this the, the adult in the room is is quite the honor <laughs> All right, let's talk NWA, Dave. Yeah, let's get into it because, you know, obviously there's been a lot of news over the weekend with you. Honestly, when I asked Gabby to book you for today, it had nothing to do with Bruce Pritchard's comments, which we'll get into in just a second. But I wanted to get you on, Nick, because honestly, if I had to vote for the Wrestler of the Year for 2019, it would be the National Treasurer, Nick Aldis. You had a tremendous 2019. Obviously, you know, what struck everybody here in 2020, you could not predict. And it's been unfortunate. But I think one organization that's been hit the hardest has been the NWA. NWA Power has been gaining such momentum and such a buzz. And, you know, really not having NWA Power on Tuesday nights. I mean, what has that been like for you? What has the last four months been for you for that championship and for the NWA? I I think that it's it's quite obvious that it's been frustrating. Uh you know, the one thing I would say is that, you know, the, the wrestling business um, has a tendency to to place a lot of expectations on on brands and on companies and on wrestlers and, uh, you know, everyone in it, really. But um, so I think that once, you know, you, it's very easy to become a victim of your own success. Uh, and so once, you know, we, we like you said, we had we had a, I thought a great 2019 and, and built a lot of momentum and, you know, really were carving out a tremendous fan base. And I have to say, you know, right off the bat, the, uh, the NWA fan base and, and what sort of come to affectionately be known as the uh, hashtag NWA fam. I mean, they are, I mean, they have been absolutely phenomenal. They, they have stuck with us, you know, they, they maintain a dialogue with us, uh, you know, for, for a lot of people, you know, there's, there are fans now for whom the NWA is in first place. You know, they, they, they either came back to wrestling because of us, or th- this has become the, the place that they stuck their flag in the ground and said, this is my favorite pro wrestling show. And, and that, that doesn't go unnoticed. It's like I said, in, in the open letter I wrote to the fans. Um, but you know, there's, there's no getting around it. You know, COVID was, was unfortunate for everyone. And then, some other unfortunate circumstances that kind of halted our momentum. But the, I want to, I want to make this clear. We, we, we have never, there's never been any, any intention of things halting, right? It was just the way that the, the way that we looked at everything, it was, it was a necessary moment for us to say, okay, well, we need to pivot. We need to reset and we need to sort of, in many ways, even rebuild, which, which sounds strange for a company that's such, with such a short lifespan. But, um, you know, I, I remind fans and, and like, uh, like Billy and I had a, a call with some of our Patreon subscribers the other night. We, we set the tone in 2017 and 2018 with the 10 pounds of gold series, you know, and we, we, we had all these questions then, uh, what are you guys doing? Like you you have one person on your roster, you know, like, well, you don't have a show. Like what are you 
like who's going to be your roster? Are you going to have other belts? You know, and all this. I mean, because that's the sort of expectation that comes with with a wrestling brand. And yet, somehow, we were able to to build and develop and establish this new legacy of the NWA in the modern era with a ten pounds of gold series. So we've sort of we've looked back in that, you know, and it's taken it's taken me and and some others to sort of remind Billy, look, look, man, we're the best at this. We're the best at bootstrapping, you know, with limited resources. That's, that's how we've set ourselves apart. And honestly, like we've proven before, and like you guys have, have been very, you know, strong supporters of from day one by stripping away all the, all the bullshit. Like you really let the talent and the, and the high, you know, highlight and, and speak for themselves. And that's, and that's essentially what we're going to get back to. It will probably be uh, in the, in the short term, more going back to the prize fight approach to pro wrestling, making people care about one champion, one challenger, one prize, one culmination of, of, of a collision. Right. Uh, and that's, that's kind of what we're working towards, but ultimately we had to take a minute to figure out how we're going to do that and how we're going to do it to maintain the high quality. I've always said from the beginning, I wanted the NWA to be like the HBO boxing of, of pro wrestling, right? You don't necessarily see it as often, but when you do, you're watching restaurant quality shit. You know what I mean? Nick, one of the conversations that me and Dave were having before we came on today was the why of why the NWA had to hit the pause button. Now, in this pandemic era of wrestling, we've seen WWE uh, still be able to put out a television product. We've seen AEW still be able to put out a television product. It would have seemed pretty easy for the NWA to continue to put out a product on on YouTube as you were doing every Wednesday night. Um, Yes, COVID affected a lot of things, but... Did the extenuating circumstances with Dave Lagana and him having to stop down, is that what ultimately hit the pause button since he was responsible for so many things that went on with the production of the NWA? I mean, sure. Certainly that was a, that was a part of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, when, when somebody has that level of responsibility and and then they, you know, they decide to, to step down, you know, in order to address uh, those issues. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's tough. But I think the other point you have to remember this is that we, we're not, you know, we didn't get a rights fee for our show. Right. We, like we, you know, the, the, we, we were, we were very blessed to sell out, you know, the GPB studios when we did our TV tapings there, you know, every single person in those seats paid for a ticket. Right. And so, and that, that goes a long way with, you know, for us, because ultimately, you know, it's still a business, right? It's not a vanity project. It's not a, it's, it's not a, a, a show for the sake of a show, you know, it has to be run like a business. So without the ability to sell tickets and have paid audience in there, uh, that, that would be problematic. You know, we're, I'm very blessed. I, you know, I make a good living as a contracted full-time talent for lightning one in the NWA. I make six figures, but that's not the case for everyone. And I had to earn that. I mean, the first six months I worked for this company, I didn't take a check. I literally got what I said, Hey, I'll get whatever I get from, from independent bookings and I'll prove my value. And I'm, and, and I made plenty of money from the independence. I mean, I, I defended the title, you know, seven different countries, four different continents. I mean, I was doing just fine. So, but my point is, is that I've been, I've bootstrapped this. I've been, you know, I've been all in on this, no pun intended, because I, and, and there were times where Billy said, Hey, you know, just let me know when you're ready to take a salary. And I said, no, we're good. You know? And it was, it was, uh, 
like I said, it was about six months and I said, all right, now we've got all in on the horizon. And, you know, obviously we're starting to sort of show that I could do business and do big business. So I said, all right, we, we can stick me on a salary now. And, and I've been very fortunate to do that. But I think that, and I, you know, and this is a point I want to make to a lot of the young wrestlers, you know, wrestling companies don't just start and then just start handing out six figure contracts to people. That's not normal. Yeah. Like, and, and so for, you know, there's, there's been a few guys who have had a few sort of sideways things to say about, you know, the NWA in, in that regard, but ultimately I generate that revenue for the company. This company, even at this point is still generating like over five figures in monthly revenue. And that's largely due to me, you know, I, I, and this isn't about me, you know, putting myself over or patting myself on the back too hard. But the reality is, is that, is there really, you know, we've got some incredible talent and a lot of people have worked really hard to make this thing what it is. But deep down, if you're really truthful with yourself, is there really anybody else at this point for whom if they were to leave that, you know, would leave, would leave this brand and this company in serious trouble? You know, the answer it's no. So like my, and and the, the point I'm making with that is that like I've earned that and I did it by, proving my ability to generate revenue. And that's the culture that we've wanted to install with the NWA. And that's the, that's the message that we've extended to current talent who have wanted to stay with us. And even to prospective talent that have reached out and said, Hey, I want to be part of what you guys are doing. It's like, Hey, yeah, it's great. But just listen, you know, if you think that this is, you know, if you think that Billy Corgan is some ATM, who's just going to start handing out money, ain't working like that right? You've got to generate revenue and prove your worth, but he'll give you the opportunity to do it like he did with me. And I knocked it out of the park uh, and, you know, because I'm a professional and, and that's, you know, that's what I take pride in. And that's why I've stuck with the NWA. I think a lot of people are uh, quite aware at this, at this point that I, you know, had the opportunity to, to go to another organization. And I, and I, listen, I am uh, very grateful to them for, you know, for, for reaching out to me as early as they did. But at that point in time, I felt a loyalty to the guy that had taken a chance on me and had allowed me to define myself on my terms and define my own destiny. Did you find it difficult for seeing uh, an Eddie Kingston, a Ricky Starks move over to the AEW to see them on TNT and to see them wrestle? Like, you know, knowing that they were such a big part of the NWA and may still be a part of the NWA when things start up again. No, it's not difficult. Uh, look, uh, yeah, all you got to do is go back and listen to to multiple multiple interviews that I gave, where I I was the one who 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 touted Ricky Starks before anybody was talking about that kid, and I'm proud of him. Like, and, and that's a perfect example where it's like, if the, if there's an opportunity for you right now to go make some bread, go take it, man. Like, because I'm making mine. You know, that's just it's just there isn't enough for everybody here. Right. And it's just like, I wish people could get that, get that through their head that they've got to stop comparing every wrestling company to WWE in terms of their operational ability, right. In terms of their infrastructure, it's just, it's, it's, it's asinine and it's stupid. You know, you can't like, it's these guys that come into the business that just, you know, that assume, oh, okay, now I, now I work for a wrestling company. It's only a matter of time before I have a six figure contract and I'm, you know, making money. It doesn't work like that. Prove your worth, generate revenue. 
Nick, you know, when I sit back and I take a look at your career, and I've known you for a while now, I would say it's a, uh, a classic example of some really high peaks and some really low valleys. Um, th th with this NWA um, championship run that you've had in the way you represent yourself and the company as an extremely high peak. And now all of a sudden, the NWA is forced to basically hit the brakes. What keeps you motivated every day? H how, you know... It's got to be difficult to be like, damn it, I was such, things were going so well. The company was doing great. I was doing great. We had so much momentum. We have to slam on the brakes. What keeps you motivated? What keeps you got, first of all, just physically, in the gym, every day, your body, the way you, you, you pay attention to detail, your look, what keeps you motivated mentally? The, the, the whole, fr from beginning to end, what keeps Nick uh, Aldis moving forward? Well, that, a lot of that is, is you know, my own personal pride in, in, in myself, you know, certainly in terms of working out in the gym and, and taking care of my appearance, you know, that's, that's always been something, you know, it's, it's been something that's been a part of my life, you know, for, you know, since I was a teenager. So that, that's, that's, a, that's one thing. And, you know, re the reality is, is that I, I have a lot of strings to my bow. You know, I think that, <laughs> just because I'm not necessarily tweeting about them all and, you know, telling everyone, Hey, watch the space, big things coming, brother. <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean that, that I haven't been working on some other things. In fact, uh, I'm about 75% done with a pilot for, for a, a new, uh, series that, that, you know, that me and that, that I've been pitching to Billy for our Patreon and, you know, cause that's been doing great. And, that's become a, that's emerged as uh, one positive in this sort of COVID era that we, you know, we, we hadn't, um, necessarily, uh, appreciated as such a significant revenue stream for the business. Um, and that's a, that's a, it's going to be a sort of documentary series covering, uh, training to be a pro wrestler, like different, you know, different profiling some different kids. And, and there's some really exciting projects kind of stemming from that. Um, and then honestly, the, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a, it wasn't a bump in the road. It was a fucking pothole, you know, let's be real, but it's, it, it doesn't, I'm very, very confident in what I've done. Uh, you know, I'm proud of myself for what I've done, but it's also for me, it's very, very apparent to me that, that, you know, there's a lot more to come. So the motivation is not, is not an issue. Uh, and if anything, I've been quite, been quite motivated by the fact that uh, obviously with the, with the circumstances as they were, um, I, you know, sort of ascended into a bit more of a sort of senior advisor role for the time being. And that's not, that's not a permanent thing. And that's not a, I mean, it's no different to what I was anyway. You know, I was kind of already in that kind of role, um, just simply because I've defined this company, you know, through my work and, 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 and vice versa. So I've been very motivated, you know, by the fact that Billy has put so much trust in me. Um, and, and as far as getting ready to move, you know, to move forward, it, that, that was never, there was never any doubt, never, never a shred of doubt in my mind that, that, that Nick Aldis was going to continue on and, and the NWA was going to continue on. Nick, if the, and, and you know, Nick, that I'm a huge fan of not only the NWA, but I'm a huge fan of yours. And, and I've, I've talked about that a lot here on Busted Open. And if there was one wrestler in the world today that I would look at and say, he's not just playing a character it's you. I mean, the, the way you come across, and you know where I'm coming from. 
I mean, sure. when you when you hear Bruce Pritchard say, you know, that you know you're just playing a character, and you're not being the uh, being it, and you don't have that it factor. I mean, when you uh, with all the work that you've done, especially over the last couple of years, you know, when you when you heard those comments, what were your feelings and and what's your reaction to that? Well, I mean, you've seen some of my reaction. I I, I took a minute to uh, to. Bubba knows that that you know perhaps ten years ago uh, I might have reacted slightly differently, um, and I may have been I may have been slightly more reactive in general. This time I took a moment uh, to to process it, uh, and the you know Bruce and I even spoke on the phone, and Bruce claimed that he was I was talking about the Magnus character. Uh, I wasn't talking about Nick Aldis. Okay, well. Then, you know, his team uploaded the video as a separate clip and they had a picture of me with the NWA title, the same title that Harley Race, Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes held, you know, the same lineage that I've busted my ass to rebuild and put into the modern era. And they used my name. So he's full of shit is the reality. And, you know, (laughs) it just honestly, what he did was he just exposed the fact that he hasn't been paying attention to anything that's been going on because like you said, anyone who has seen any of my shit from the last three years, the one thing, the one consistent thing that comes up with everybody from Mark Henry to, you know, Hall of Famers, Harley Race, Dusty Rhodes, even tippy top guys in WWE who have texted me privately, whose names I won't mention, to, who all say the same thing, which is, you know what, like, you just, you have that thing. You present yourself like a real pro wrestler, like the kind of wrestling that I miss, the kind of wrestling that I thought wasn't here anymore. And and for Bruce to say that, it just showed that he just hasn't been paying attention. Kind of like when he was running TNA, he wasn't paying attention. He was asleep, you know? And the reality is, is that he just, he took a shot and he you know, try to give some half-baked sort of reason as to why, you know, why he decided to say it and whatnot. Said he was going to address it, did not, you know, let it breathe. So now he's getting a receipt. He's not getting a fucking receipt. He's getting a fucking invoice is what he's getting. Because like I, like I showed on that, uh, there's plenty of Hall of Famers who have a different opinion. And he likes to he likes to float things out that are subjective and just sort of present them as fact. He's a, He lives in, in this past sort of mentality where he thinks that because he's WWE, he can just say whatever about someone. And that's the only thing anyone will hear. And that will be the, and that will be the opinion that everybody shares. Well, it don't work like that anymore. Times have changed. People fact check, people can go and present their, their, their opposing opinion. And, you know, I'll follow up with fact if he wants to go there, because by the time Bruce was relieved of his duties in TNA in 2013, he'd, he'd got the, the viewing figures down to like 1 million people. Well, by the time I had the world title at the end of that year and through the, the start of 2014, we'd got the average viewing figures back up to 1.3 and peaked at 1.55, which was just shy of 1.561, which was the lowest raw rating in history, which is the rating that came out the same week that he decided to trash me on his podcast. So I don't really know... I guess that maybe that little extra bit of rating that, you know, that Raw got, that must be the it factor that I don't have. You know what I mean? Because it, it can't be that his that his entire roster don't have the it factor. God, if, if only I had the it factor that those guys had, I could have just got that extra bit of half a fucking rating. You know what I mean? It's just, it, I just was like, all right, 
that's enough. Gloves are coming off this time because I'm not going to sit here and take it. I have a five-year-old son. I have to sit there and look him in the eye and I need him to look at his father and think that he's a man. And I have to tell him to stand up for himself. And I have to explain to him that when someone takes a shot at you, you have to take, you have to take it and give one back because you can't just, uh, you can't be governed by fear. He thinks that guys like me are, are going to just sit there and take it because I'm always holding on to that sliver of hope that, you know, oh, well, I don't want to get heat with them because, you know, maybe I want a job someday. Sorry, I don't live my life governed by fear. Certainly not the fear of the ignorant. Uh, on a personal level, I'm very happy to hear that answer said in a very eloquent yet upfront and stern way. Um, you handled your business and you spoke to him. I'm sure if you could have been face-to-face -face with him, you would have spoke to him face-to-face, -face, and you didn't handle it on social media. So uh, yeah. good job by you, because on in this business, too many people take shots at uh, uh, each other on social media and do the immediate backpedal when they come face-to-face -face with somebody. Nick, I want to talk to you about a guy like Eddie Kingston. Uh, you know, obviously he had a great performance against Cody, the other night um uh, on on dynamite got himself over i think uh you know, uh we, we've seen you know starks leaving the uh nwa and able to succeed in aew i've always thought that there was more business for you and cody at least one more piece of business is that something that you would be interested in is that something that has been discussed could we see more of a working relation or a loose working relationship with aew and the nwa moving forward even if it's just on a individual basis uh, I mean, it's it's difficult for me to answer to answer that because you know I, I can't speak for 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 Tony. Um, you know that that would have to be something that would be discussed between Billy and Tony. And like I said, I had a great conversation with him. Um, you know, and 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 like I said, it was it was not my decision at that time. You know, to to stay with the NWA was was based on loyalty and also on the fact that you know. I'm like I said, I'm very confident in who I am and I'm very confident in my value to this organization and to, you know, to, to the, to the value I've built up in myself in the, in the pro wrestling business. But I was also aware of the fact that at that point in time, AEW was going to launch and be successful and be just fine with or without Nick Aldis. However, the NWA would have been in significant, you know, had a bit serious trouble. So, you know, in that respect, my my take at that time was basically, hey, maybe we can work together somewhere down the road. But right now, you know, my loyalty is with the, the you know the guy who who pays me and gave me an opportunity to show the world who I really am. Uh, as regards to you know, with regards to Cody, I mean, look, <laughs> it, it 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 comes up every day. I'm not I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Some some way, shape, or form, there is some sort of fan sentiment every day from you know from someone going, I when do we get Cody Aldis three. When do we when do we get that rubber match? I you know so badly want to see that match. I think that there's there's no doubt that it will happen at some point. I for me you know at this point it's 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 developed its own sort of mythology uh, and it's sort of taken on a life of its own. So I think it can I think it can survive for you know in time. Uh, so and, and what I mean by that is I think at this point I'd rather wait until we can have an audience because. When you when you look at all in, you know, eleven thousand people standing at the bell before we even touched, you know, even though I don't have the it factor, 
And then NWA 70, you know, we set a box office record for one of the most historic pro wrestling buildings, you know, in America. It's like that rubber match for me has to meet that same level of, of prestige. And for me, I'd, I'd like it with an audience. So, you know, he knows where I am. We still maintain a dialogue from time to time. And we, you know, we still text each other and stay in touch. I have nothing but respect for Cody. I mean, I, you know, I learned a lot from him and I dare say, you know, vice versa. So it's, I got, I got nothing but love for, for Cody, the Bucks, you know, all those guys. So, uh, I would, you know, I would be more than open to that. And as, and as far as like Eddie and, and, uh, Starks and those guys, like, again, like you won't find a bigger Eddie Kingston fan than me. And, you know, Eddie and I, we, we badly want to do business. I mean, the, 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 you know, to me, that story writes itself, the promos, you know, the, the build to, to Nick Aldis and Eddie Kingston, you know, I think we're printing money with that, but it's, you know, ultimately it's like, we have to, everyone has to do what they have to do, you know, to, to pay their bills. So it's like, uh, you know, I just wish in general that the business was a bit less territorial and a bit less, uh, you know, had, had a bit less um, pissing contest vibe about it in that in that respect. I think, and a lot of that I think just comes from fans because they're sort of still they're still stuck in that sort of Monday Night Wars kind of uh, era. That's like, oh, people are jumping ship, and that that means now I have to hate this other company, and you know, and it's all this sort of territorial stuff. Like, no man, and and when I talk about the NWA fans, for example. Like I'm proud of the fact, and it's one of the things that's made us sustainable that we have a fan base that put us in first place. You know, that it's like, if they're going to spend their money, they're going to spend the, the money on the NWA first and everything else second. That's not a knock on anyone else. You know, that's just, we're just proud of the fact that we've built a loyal customer base, you know, and, and, and I, and I'm proud of anyone else who's been able to do that, including AEW, you know, and it's, but it's like, yeah, Hey, but the, the good thing about that in terms of business if, if you're looking at it business, right, black and white, bottom line, I think that it's pretty obvious at this point that if somebody wants to do business with Nick Aldis, the NWA world's champion, it's going to generate a, a fair amount of interest from the NWA fan base, you know, which could represent a significant bump in, in numbers for any organization on a short-term basis. Well, because, you know, Nick, you're the NWA champion. There There is so much prestige with that championship, you know, and – Nick, you, you know, I give you credit all the time, and it, it needs to be said. You're the reason why that people look at that championship the way that they do right now. That, that championship fell. A lot of, you know, NWA fell. I mean, the, the, you know, completely off the ladder. And you were able to climb up that ladder with that 10 pounds of gold where there is prestige. And I think it's fun to say, hey, could we get Nick Aldis and, and Cody Rhodes for the NWA championship? Could we get, you know, another match with Nick Aldis and Marty Skrull? You know, that you talk about it being territorial. The NWA is anything right. but territorial when you look at AEW. And when you look at Ring of Honor. Sure. And, and I mean, a, another one that comes up constantly is uh, Kazuchika Okada. I mean, that's another yep. one that comes up constantly. Oh, man, I want to see Aldis and Okada. And again, look, man, I, I like Rocky Romero. And, you know, that they, 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 New Japan have always seemed to be very open to the idea of, of, you know, building those kind of super fight type of deals. And, you know, that's that's kind of, I think if we've proven anything, the NWA in the last couple of years is that, when, you know, when you give us the opportunity to present like one real big match, one serious match, and you know, we, we, we do not disappoint, you know, we, we deliver. I mean, look at all in and all these other times, like we know how to, we know how to make the big fight feel. 
Well, Nick, I mean, appreciate the time. Thank you so much for the last 30 minutes. Thank you for addressing everything that's been going on over the weekend. And thank you for addressing the future of the NWA, because I know for myself and a lot of people that listen to the show, we can't wait to see what's next for not only the NWA, but for you, the national treasure, Nick Aldis. Nick, thank you so much for the time today. Thank, thank you guys so much. And, and I just want to say really quick that, it, it, like I said, like I've said countless times before, uh, the support that, that Busted Open has given the brand from day one and, and the Busted Open Nation, uh, you know, it's greatly appreciated. We, we appreciate every single one of you. Thank you so much. And now Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio's resident golf historian, Dave Marr, with a PGA Championship memory. 2019 PGA Championship was historic. With its new date in May, defending champion Brooks Kepka claimed his first springtime major to become the only player in history to hold two successful title defenses at the same time. A pair of U.S. Opens and a pair of PGAs. PGA Championship Week is on Sirius 208 XM92 and on your Sirius XM app. Made an impact at Slammiversary for sure, and I'm sure he's got a lot to talk about today. Joining us right now is the newest addition to the Impact Wrestling roster, and that is EC3. Sir, how are you today? Yeah, I'm super well. I don't know if you know this, but I'm sitting on top of a hamstring curl machine trying to get the right angle so you can see me well. I purposely had the TV in the background, which you couldn't see, playing Bully Ray classic matches. But unfortunately, that angle's not working. Your daughter needs a new shirt. That song is in the past. I destroy the past. That shirt's from the past. Go to www.freeec3.com. Click on wearable propaganda to get some new swag. And uh, besides that, I'm great. That, that best of Bully Ray uh, DVD you're watching is probably the best three and a half minutes that I've personally have ever <laughs> seen in my life. <laughs> I, think, I, think I, have, I think I have Dudley's, Dudley's Brooks, uh, balls and Tanaka on right now is what I believe it's on. So. Oh, all right. Cool. Yeah. How you doing, man? You doing good? I'm doing excellent. Nice to hear from you. Yeah, it's good to have you here. Uh, I'm sure you're in a good spot right now. And uh, me and Dave want to talk about nothing but positive. But I got to ask yeah. you, man, how uh, how good does it feel to finally be doing the stuff that you've known you can do and a lot of pe- other people knew you could do for a while now? I'm honest to God, shocked. It's been missing from my life for so long, how much it means to me and how much it resonates with me and how much it helps my well-being, not only as a professional, but as a person too. So uh, drastic differences in mentality and uh, everything's great. Like I don't need to throw shade and piss and shit all over. <laughs> I say that, I don't know. The past, but the past is the past and the past made me better for the moments today. Uh, it feels good to be able to create and to entertain and to tell a story. And of course, to control your narrative. And let me just ask you this, and just give us the Cliff Notes version if you can. What the frick went wrong? There's got to be, you got to be able to put your finger on something. Uh, Yeah, like with anything, it starts at the top. And uh, I think the top, the very, very top is micromanaging to an extremely dangerous level where there's no trust in the lieutenants and, you know, the majors and the generals to do anything, everything goes through the top. And when the top's inundated with so much business, a lot gets lost. Uh, I believe you had EY on here uh, and you just mentioned it's a broken system and it, it seems like it. 
I'm not following the product, but they have the most talented roster in the world and the product becomes unwatchable and insufferable sometimes. Uh, But if I'm a leader, which I've been in some cases, not to that level, but as a leader, instead of passing blame to people and firing them, sometimes it comes down on me. And so leadership starts at the top. You know, when you look at your career and being a fan of yours and seeing what you were able to do with TNA and what you were able to do, not only in the ring, but on the microphone as a character, as a personality, I would have thought that you were custom made for the WWE. You hear that the WWE creates superstars, not pro wrestlers. So, you know, and to me, and I'll even say this because Bully mentioned about NXT. I don't even think that you were fully utilized on NXT. Obviously, a lot more than you were on the main roster. But I never felt like your WWE career ever really hit the ground running. Why is that when you are such a great personality like you are? Be, uh, I mean, I started with like a great match to kick it off. I think the problem was I created such a self-made brand and individuality and persona that when they threw me out there and I was already fairly popular and quote sort of over end quote that they realized, well, we don't have to worry about this. This is good. Uh, like, and then nobody took it upon themselves to manufacture what I was to them. It was just like, we have this act. It works. It's, it's nobody's project. And when it becomes nobody's project, uh, you can just, fall into the complacency of being a popular act or semi over. So I think that was part of it. Plus NXT was mostly a stopping ground because we would think with my skill sets, I'm more of a main roster kind of talent. Uh, When I did get called up, I was, it was a rushed call up and I, my mistake, my biggest mistake was trusting the process and believing there was a reason for it as opposed to, it was a rash decision because they were feeling heat for some reason. And uh, my mistake, thinking that it was for a reason. So I take full accountability for that. Plus, they called me up and I was out with an injury. So I rushed back from an injury. I was not in a good place physically, mentally, whatever. Didn't work. And that's fine because it not working has made me create something I'm finally happy and proud of and hopefully can take not only to impact wrestling, but to the entire narrative of the wrestling world in various different locations and uh i think various different locations are ripe to you know take over this scene i think that tide is turning and coming ethan uh about a week ago you sent out a tweet that uh i absolutely loved and i want to read it for (laughs) our, our fans that uh may not have seen it it says i have no home i'm not back I'm not here for friends or family. In reality, who I am has never been here. Nostalgia and comfort do not interest me. This isn't what you think it is. This is more. This is more. This is more. Like, I saw that. I'm like, oh, man. Like, I'm getting goosebumps because I know, like, I can feel it. I believe it. I'm into it. It's not the dog shit that you've been doing for the past couple of months. Actually, I don't even know what you've been doing for the past couple of months because I couldn't even see the dog shit because it was never on TV. Um, 
Go, go, give me a little bit more depth on that tweet. What are we going to see from you moving forward? Because now I see an edge that yeah. you can only get this edge by getting spit out from the wrestling business sometimes. You, you can only exactly get an edge like this after you've been chewed up and spit on and pissed on and thrown away. Like this is real angst and real anger. And I've had it before. The first time I got fired was more... Like I'm going to create something and make them want me back and prove it to them. Like you should never let go of me. And I did. Didn't work out in the end, but I did do that. This time it's more like, I don't care about anything you think, do, or say, because your opinion, your validation means nothing to me because I've seen the process from the inside and it does not impress me and I'm not cool with it. So this time I do it for myself. Uh, I think you're, you're rightfully so a very, tough critic to wrestling and mentalities and making it real. Um, and I think me trying this may have been like off putting to you. Like, I don't know if he can do it. I don't know if he can do it. Uh, but the fact that you read that tweet, I mean, it's okay. Something's working. Cool. Just being able to take personal experiences and this goes beyond. All right. You know, everybody has a story they get screwed over by WWE. Who cares? I don't care anymore. It doesn't matter. But we've been screwed over by life. We've been screwed over by corporations and media, politicians, you know, your religion, the people you've been in love with. Like all these things kind of came at once. And then with COVID happening, it kind of like five things hit me at once where I was just, whoa. And then I felt I'm okay with this instead of like not let, allowing this to affect me. I'm going to embrace this and use this and then. It kind of became this character I started with social media, but it's grown to more. And it's just speaking honestly, realism, truth. And, you know, you've been in the ring with me. I'm like behind all the, the handsome face and the uh, sweet muscles. I'm pretty, I'm pretty tough dude. Like, but it's just about maintaining that edge for a duration. So, yeah. Did I make any sense? I was just kind of word vomiting a lot of cool words at once. <laughs> well, Bully read that tweet and you talked about nostalgia and, and, you know, the past. And I think with all these things happening with, you know, the relationship with the WWE, with this pandemic, with everything that's happened to you, with, that, with, with everything that's happened to all of us, I think this is going to be a new world moving forward. Do you think it's time yeah. that the world of pro wrestling needs to stop looking at the past and start evolving and looking ahead? I think as long as we look into the past, we'll never make it to the future. And uh, I think a generation of people in my age bracket have been most affected by the nostalgia acts of the past of doing, I mean, this, I don't want to sound like it's complaining, but it's not me, but it's other people I've seen in positions, ground level acts week in, week out every week. And then only for their spots to be unserved at the time where a big show comes and then they get treated by wayside thrown away for the nostalgia of the past. And to a point I understand it because the past is comforting. It's nice to have, but at the same time, the past leaves again and these guys are still here and they're still going through the toils. So that sucks. But uh, I think too, as I watch wrestling, not a lot of people have embraced the reality that's around them. And this reality is 2020 is a, a S show. It's a freaking mess. People are changing for better or for worse. Some people come into quarantine. If you didn't come out of quarantine, a better person with a new skill, a new perspective or a new hobby, 
or a new like life goal, I think you failed because it was the first time in history you've had the ability to press a reset on your life. And I think I did that in a wrestling character. I wanted to control the narrative, create at least a character to take forward and sell to the next wrestling companies I work for, but also, you know, create something with a payoff where I did the cinematic fight. So I was busy, COVID, making the most out of the worst. Why Moose? Why, uh, why show up and go after Moose first? What is it about know, Moose? Let's talk in the terms of storylines, and then let's talk in terms of reality. In terms of storylines, all right. Um, when my music played, I was not coming back to Impact Wrestling. When they did the tease of me coming, I had other things. Like, it was a great offer, and I considered it deeply, but I thought it was too easy to go right back there. I didn't want to look like I was... Returning to comfort and nostalgia, I didn't want to look like, oh, this little puppy couldn't make it over here, but I'm back. Do you love me still? Like, I didn't want it to come off like that. I want to come back at a later time. But he, they played the music. And then if you look at it, the whole arc of this character is I want to destroy the nostalgia of my past. What brought me to this miserable fork in the road where I've had to change everything about my life? I think the happiest day of my life was winning the TNA World Championship for personal and professional reasons. So looking back on winning that title, like that was the moment everything changed for me and it's been all downhill from there. So this character wants to destroy his past. Moose has a TNA World Heavyweight Championship. Regardless of how he's won it, it doesn't matter to me. The fact he holds the physical manifestation of my anger, resentment, and guilt means I need to come after him to destroy it. In reality, Moose came to my little gray wall and filmed a promo with my awesome cinematographer, Huntley. And it was like a normal wrestling promo is real whatever. Like he has a tendency to play wrestler, a hell of a talent. But then when he started talking about me, I noticed a switch in him. And he started talking from a real place with real heart, real passion about what he really wanted to do to me. And then that made me stand up and be like, if I can do something like you did for me, boy, like take me up a level and working with me, like that's something I want to give back, not only to impact, not only to him, but just to wrestling in general. Um, wanting to clean that bad taste of the WWE out of your mouth, was impact wrestling for you the only option coming out of WWE? Absolutely not. Every option was and is on the table. What I'm doing is controlling the narrative. Uh, I have things in works in multiple locations and plans to hopefully bend the narrative and confuse people. And I love the fact nobody knows what I'm doing. Um, the reset that you just mentioned, and that word has followed uh, um, TNA and Impact Wrestling around for a long time. And me and Dave have been on this show for, you know, since day one, always talking about TNA and the next opportunity to hit the reset yep. button. Um, it's almost, they've almost become the boy who has cried, who has cried wolf when it comes to that reset button. I thought at Slammiversary that impact did as good a job as they possibly have can given the circumstances to hit the reset being that you were there years ago and you're back now, how did it feel being back? And do you believe that they've hit the reset button? I believe this time the reset button has been hit, but I don't even know if it's a reset button because you were there for a lot of it. I was there for a lot of it. 
was it ever really a reset button or was it just a fresh cone of paint on something where the infrastructure and the foundation was crumbling from the inside? It always seemed like that to me. And then when I left in 2017, it was when they finally made the switch to Anthem and Scott came in and Don was coming in and all the, you know, follies of the past, everyone that's made the mistakes, the giant Game of Thrones that took place where people were stabbing each other back for control was gone. All the past eras was gone. And they realized they were in a tough spot where they're going to have to take two, three steps back to make a run towards the future. And I think they've done that because they did take a lot of steps back, scale back, bring the operation back, create new talent in their own means to now that 2020 comes along, you know, a decent plethora of names becomes available. They made a big impact, pun intended, a big splash to take a shot at it. And I think the reset button has been hit because every ghost of the past has been exercised from when I was there and you were there, where their foundation, they built something that they can build upon as opposed to try to duct tape a concrete wall from falling over. You know, Bully mentioned the word reset. Uh, after your last answer, the one word that I keep thinking of talking to you is the word control. Do you feel uh, like this is the first time that you have true control over your career? I think this is the first time I've taken true control over my career. There was always freedom with impact to create and explore on your character. So that's why, I mean, EC3 could have been a completely different thing with a different person behind it. But at the same time, Ethan Carter III was not my controlled creation, but I had a lot of help in manufacturing it. Then every ounce of creativity, passion, desire, want and need to create something was, I don't want to say it's taken from me, but became unavailable because no matter what I created, it wouldn't have mattered. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters when there's one person in charge. Cool. That's fine. That's their business, not mine. But now I've had 90 days to kind of demo what I see as a character that I would, it's not a character. It's really me, but the best characters are extensions of your real life. I had a 90-day demo where I was able to create, manufacture every word said, every promo shot, every even a cinematic fight or a wrestling match to show how this character fights and works and stuff. Uh, yes, I do feel total control, and I control the narrative of myself. And that's what control your narrative is, is telling your story your way, controlling your narrative. I should trademark it ASAP. Don't anyone else do it. <laughs> Ethan, Dave, Dave asked you if other companies had been in contact with you and you've had communication with them. You say yeah. yes. You're also saying that you want to control the narrative, shake things up, keep people, uh, you know, surprise somebody. Are you yeah. saying that even though we've seen you in an impact wrestling ring, that there is a chance, a good chance, you're shaking your head, yes, that we could see you in oh, another... Oh, my TV, I forgot. <laughs> Yeah, you're on TV. Yes. <laughs> There's a chance we're going to see so you in sweaty. another company's ring. Don't worry, bro. Your arms look jacked. Dude, They're freaking huge right now. Uh, is there a chance we see you in another company's ring? Yeah. Sooner than later. Yeah. Very good chance. 100%. Is this something right. that Impact obviously must have been comfortable with then? Yes. 
Yes. Do you think for guys and gals in your position that this could be a direction that the wrestling business is heading in where kind of like the old school territories where you're never going to know who's going to pop up when? I don't think it would hurt in a COVID world. And that's kind of the precipice of these negotiations. Like in this world, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone three months from now. So companies are going to be hesitant. They don't want to sign people long-term, rightfully, until the world has settled down and makes sense. And we know where we're going with this and that. And I think the same thing with talent. Like I wouldn't want to jump into a long-term exclusive deal when I don't know what the world is going to be. So I think for me and the character, AKA the reality I'm portraying, I don't see this guy as somebody that would stop in one place and call a place at home. Like I said, I don't have a home. I really don't. And I realize that personally now more than ever, I have nothing. It's awesome. I am like truly Batman without money. It's cool. But, uh, jumping from place to place, can it be how the system goes? I think it's a, a noble concept, but at the same time, companies will want their stamps and their exclusivity on their top level talent to make them different from other people. So I think that's all a discussion to be had at another time, but with the world being what it is today, why not shake it the hell up? Cause the world's shaken up, life's shaken up. Let's make wrestling shake, shake it, shake, shake it up. Whatever. What? Well, you said that you've you've changed, you've evolved because of the circumstances in the world right now. If COVID never happened, do you think you would still be in, a, I guess, a quote-unquote comfortable position with the WWE? Would, would you have made a change? Would you have wanted I to would make have, a change? I would have post-WrestleMania requested my release privately. I would not have been the guy who takes his business public trying to get out. I would have had to have a man-to-man conversation with whomever that was with, and uh, their decision may have been yes or may have been no. And then uh, I would have taken it from there and obliged by my penmanship signed autograph I put on a piece of paper. So I probably would have. Uh, What stopped me was COVID and the fact that I have family that may have needed help financially because of losing businesses and things like that. So it's pretty hard to turn down money in a COVID world when millions of people are losing their jobs, but I lost my job anyway. So it didn't matter. Did you ever I'm get, saying that? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Keep going. I'm seeing that in hindsight, but I don't know. I mean, post WrestleMania, they could have been fed the old, Oh, we got something coming for you. It's WrestleMania. This is when time to step up, get the brass ring. And I've been like, yeah, okay, it's time. I'm going to try real hard to do this. And then here's my great idea. Okay. We're going to give it to Baron Corbin. Oh, Okay, and then I'm just work made event. Cool, whatever. So I don't know what would have happened, but I, I was leaning that way. Did you have people in your corner up at the WWE, and did you ever get to have one-on-ones with Vince about direction or character? I think I had people in my corner, but nobody that would openly step up because everyone's job scared and apprehensive, and no one wants to rock the boat. So there's like, man, I can't believe they don't let you talk. You're in the production meetings. You could say something. I've had one-on-ones with Vince. I've been through the wait four hours in the hallway, and they were always good and instructive. And he saw me for what I am, like look good, 
work good, but I'm not like the workhorse, but he doesn't make money off those guys. He makes money off guys with charisma, which I have natural ability. Thought whatever promo he saw of me, he saw one promo. He thought it was over the top. I'm like, well, that was one. And you know, I can always scale it back. Yeah. But I just think it's funny. You don't talk. Oh, it's only killing me inside, but cool, man. It's your, your show. Right. Uh, and the, yeah. So there were those meetings and, you feel good walking out of them, but then nothing ever happens from them. Pitched him a bunch of different things. Here's a, a video I shot with Drake Maverick. We think this is going to be great. Ah, I love it. It's great. Never happens. You know, this happened. Like, okay. After a while, you become desensitized, and I will take accountability for I stopped caring because nothing mattered. So I'm totally to blame for nothing towards the end from happening, besides the fact that I was out with a concussion. But you know, it all worked out, I guess, how it should. Well, whatever the future holds for you, I know that we'll be watching. Your attitude is uh, tremendous as far as, like, you know, having control, hitting the reset button, being more creative. And I got to be honest with you, man, you've never looked in better shape than you do right now. So, yeah, I'd like to give shout out to at Cement Factory on Instagram, AJ Sims. I'm in his gym right now. This is what became home for me in quarantine in March. He started building this little, this dump, we call it the dump. And uh, through the training, we found ourselves, we found purpose in life. And I found a lot of inspiration for what I'm doing here. So thank you. Yeah. Hey, listen, uh, I, I believe in you, man. I think you can get the job done. I want you to go out there and do exactly what you want to do. Knock them dead, all that good stuff. And I'm, I'm almost happy that you got eaten uh, and spit out alive because now you've gotten that bad taste out. And now you can go out there and, and truly um, do what you feel is right for your life, for your family, for your career. So knock yeah. them dead. And maybe I'll see you soon. Hell yeah. I, I would like that. I think we have some things to talk about. Yeah, interesting. We could have, yeah. have a conversation. Uh, well, no. thank you so much. <laughs> we'll, we'll be watching. Appreciate the time today. Thank you for joining us here. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Now I'm going to have my post-workout meal, which is 200 grams of cereal and 25 grams of protein. It's pretty exciting. Nice. All right, man. Enjoy. Yeah. Enjoy. Bully, I think that might have been the first time we've ever done an interview with somebody who was sweating. You know, while we were doing the interview, we I just took though. a shower too. <laughs> oh, we thought that was real sweat. <laughs> no, it, it is sweat because I'm so hot. And I'm sitting on a late answering because you're a curl machine. All right, I got to uh, you guys. Thanks for listening. Catch us Monday through Saturday on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM, Fight Nation, Channel 156, The Busted Open Podcast. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.